What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and then hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you in your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the saint that God our Father desires for you to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with uh, questions. I would then study those questions and take them to prayer and conversation with other theologians and then try to get back to you with advice that is helpful for you to grow in holiness, for you to cultivate the virtues. If you're a first-time listener, I want to invite you and encourage you to rate and review our show so that other people can find out about the show. If it's a gift for you, then potentially it could become a gift for them. I also want to encourage you to send me more questions hit me up with comments and critiques on today's episode and past episodes so that we can continue to accompany each other as disciples in the 21st century who are walking toward jesus together so that we can all become saints one day and dwell with our father in the kingdom of heaven on today's show, we have some pretty cool topics. We're going to talk about Ash Wednesday and the ashes that we put on our foreheads. We're also going to talk about the dress code for the sacrifice of mass, like how should we dress when we come to worship God? And finally, uh, downplaying mortal sins whenever we get to the sacrament of reconciliation. But before we get into today's topics, I want to share with you a glory story. My glory story this week comes from uh, my time that I got to spend with Jeff and Emily Cavins. They uh, have been hanging out in Louisiana for the past month, and this past week they did our parish mission at Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church, and they spoke to us about being activated disciples, uh, being very intentional with sharing Jesus, not just studying scripture, not just studying apologetic books, not just listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and devouring all this knowledge, but actually going out into the world, sharing Jesus Christ with people, sharing the charisma that Jesus Christ loves us and has a plan for our life. And that even though sin has messed up that plan, God the Father has sent his son to restore us the right relationship with him. And all he wants us to do is to turn away from the sin, receive the sacraments, live as members of the church, the body of Christ, and then go outside the walls of the church as disciples, making other people disciples throughout the world. Um, and so it was super good, super practical. And one of the things that Jeff mentioned that was really beautiful was that he has a tattoo ministry. And you might be thinking, wait, what? Jeff Cavins does tattoos? No, he does not do tattoos. But what he does do is he uh, will talk to people about their tattoos. If he's at the coffee shop, uh, and which, by the way, he and I had some good coffee while he was down here. We we're both coffee kind of sores, not really, but I do like coffee. And we were hanging out at the coffee shop, and what he would do is he will notice a person's tattoos, and then he will immediately ask them about their tattoo, and after he listens to their story, he will find a way to insert into the conversation the person, Jesus Christ. And so he and I, on Wednesday, we grabbed some sushi, and we were hanging out, and our waitress came, and she had a tattoo. And look, just... I'm not going to lie. I saw the tattoo first, but because I am young, I wanted to wait for the old guy to see it. So the image I had was John and Peter. John got to the cave first and he waited for Peter to get there. And so I noticed the tattoo first, but I waited for Jeff to get there and notice it as well. And then once I was aware that he noticed it, together we both said, so tell me about your tattoo. 
And she kind of looked at us like, excuse me, but she began to talk about it. She loved to talk about it. And it was a great conversation. And because we listened to her, we found an opportunity to talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Both of us also have, um, we both left the Catholic Church for a number of years and were Protestant and we both came back. And so we were able to talk to her about our years in the Protestant Church. She was a Protestant Christian. And then we were able to pray with her and just share Jesus. And it was super encouraging and uh, a very delightful encounter. And so I want to encourage you and invite you. If you haven't uh, shared Jesus with anybody today, then make a, make a phone call. Like call a family member, call a friend. Or if you see a total stranger at the gas station, at the coffee shop, in the grocery store, uh, then somehow try to bring up Jesus because the Holy Spirit will do the rest of the work. We don't have to share Jesus and every single aspect of the Catholic Church with the person that we meet today, but we can simply share Jesus and trust that the Holy Spirit will confirm that message and he will um, He will send someone else to water the seed that we plant. So uh, share Jesus. Share Jesus today with at least one person and watch what God the Father does through your limited role in the body of Christ of, of answering God's call to share the greatest gift that you've received, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. Before we get into today's awesome topics, I'm going to share with you a follow-up from one of our previous episodes. This comes in from one of our listeners by the name of Brandon. Brandon writes this. Hi, Father Josh. While I enjoy most of your episodes uh, and like to hear ways that I can get closer to God, I came away from one of your most recent episodes with concern. I understand that minorities have had difficult times in our nation, but I believe that a narrative has been pushed that makes people believe there are more problems than there really are. The case for minorities being incarcerated for marijuana offenses is misleading. The people in prison are there for drug dealing, gang activity, and usually violence. The use of drugs may be in addition to why they are there, but not the sole reason. The majority of gang affiliates are there, um, are unfortunately black or Mexican descent, which proves a product of upbringing and lifestyle for many of them rather than the fact that the system is racially biased. That form of logic further separates the many races our beautiful country has. Living here in Central Cali, we have a lot of people from Mexico, and while most of them are good, hardworking people wanting a better life, the major drug and gang issues we have locally are drastically from Mexican members from our community. Our community is close to 50% Hispanic currently, but 80 plus percentage of the drug offenses, violent offenses, and gang-related offenses are from people of this descent. An outside look would see that as racially biased towards our Hispanic citizens, but the truth is that most of these citizens' offenses are done by those who are in gangs and grow up in homes where this behavior is already being done or not being looked down upon. My point is that if we always look for things that cause offense or are racially biased, Against minorities, it's easy to view something in a way to prove a point. It's sad that we live in a current climate where Jesse Smollett is able to lie about white people attacking him and everyone immediately believes him because they believe the country is deeply racist. The fact that there are some racists in our country does not prove that the country is racist. We have Black History Month, Black Entertainment Television, and so on. But if those words were replaced with white, they would immediately be deemed racist. I really don't understand why minorities fight for equality yet segregate themselves by constantly comparing everything by race. Anything can be twisted as being racist, unfortunately, and doing this just further separates us as a society, especially in a climate where everyone looks at themselves as a victim. 
I'm sorry to be long-winded, but I feel that a man in your position can influence so many people and should use that opportunity to bring us all together. I believe that you do that to the best of your abilities, and I appreciate that. I pray that God blesses all of us, not because of our race or where we came from, but because he loves all of his children. God bless you, Father Josh. I look forward to all of your future podcasts. Brandon. Brandon, thank you so much for your feedback, for your um, for your crit- critical feedback. Um, I am grateful that you still want to continue to walk with me. I uh, noticed you said, I look forward to all your future podcasts. And it's a gift because as disciples of Christ, we need to be able to walk with each other even whenever we misunderstand each other, even whenever we disagree with each other, even whenever we come from different backgrounds and different experiences. As disciples, we've got to be able to continue to accompany each other toward Jesus Christ. I think it's clear, Brandon, that you and I come from two different backgrounds, two different experiences, and two different uh, just just realities. Um, some of the things you said, uh, you mentioned that we have Black History Month, Black Entertainment Television, and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the reason why we have Black Entertainment Television, BET, is because historically there has been um, a precedence in our American television um, where most of our stations were predominantly white already, right? And there were very few shows that had predominant black actors, black producers, black directors, black news anchors. Uh, That's really still the case in in a lot of our stations, right? Very rarely do we have shows that are black-led cast. You You have your token shows, like you had the Cosby show back in the day. You had Oprah Winfrey, you had Family Matters, but the majority of the shows were predominantly white cast, and they always had like a black sidekick maybe or a guest here and there. And so what happened is, is it was actually white people, they recognized that a black audience um that they weren't being represented in in most of the the cable news stations or cable television shows. And so that's why they created BET the same way you have um, predominantly Hispanic uh, stations, Latino stations, Latinx, like Univision. Uh, So uh, you also mentioned Jesse Smollett that uh, I agree. I think that we need to uh, cultivate the virtue of, of uh, prudence in a society. I think that we're living in a, in a, in a culture where we, we do jump to conclusions really quickly. Um, but I also know from my experience of talking about race that we can't find healing uh, from our wounds and from legit sins until we bring them to the light. Uh, just like with the clergy sex abuse scandal, right now we're bringing it to the light. We're talking about it a lot. And because we're talking about it a lot, a lot of people are experiencing healing and transformation personally in their hearts and the body of Christ. But also we're witnessing our institutions experience reformation as well. And so this would not happen unless we talked about it. Is it uncomfortable to talk about? Certainly. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should not talk about it. When we expose the wound to the light, the healing power of Christ can begin to transform that wound. Because I've been speaking about racism over the past few years in my efforts of evangelization and catechesis um, and helping people become authentic disciples, I've been invited to sit at a number of different tables to help other individuals uh, really cultivate uh, authentic healing in their communities. Um, and, and help them to apply Catholic social teaching to justice with regards to reforming the way that our prison system operates today. So whenever I speak about the, the injustice that 
I've witnessed in the prison system personally. I'm not speaking as somebody who is following a narrative from TV because I don't really watch TV, to be honest with you, uh, too much. Every now and then I might see a show here and there, but I'm speaking about this from the perspective of somebody who works with law enforcement, um, who works with the DA, and who's worked with the United States Attorney General. Um, and if you don't know, the United States Attorney General is up there with the President and the Vice President of the United States of America. And so I'm speaking at from the perspective of a priest who does this for a living. We all need reform. I think sometimes when we hear people speak about the need for reform, we we all of a sudden think that it's a bad thing. But remember, God calls the saints to reform the world because we're not in heaven yet. And so like my church that I'm the pastor of is in constant need of reform. And specifically in our as an institution, we need to look over our policies and our practices and constantly bring that before the light of the Eucharist so that Jesus Christ can help us to make them even more better so that more people can be drawn to Jesus and not pushed further and further away from Jesus Christ and the sacrament of life for the Catholic Church. But not only does my church need constant reformation, but me, the pastor, the priest, I need constant reform. I am a broken individual, and I'm in constant need of the Holy Spirit to reform me and to help me to become a saint. Same thing applies for my dad. My dad was one of the best cops in Baton Rouge. My dad was the captain of police. He was a just man. He's won many awards. He was just um, given an award by the governor uh, last week um, for being one of the first black uh, police officers in Baton Rouge and for being one of the most well-respected members of the law enforcement in our community. It was so beautiful to watch my dad joyfully receive that gift. And I'm so proud of the work he did as a member of the law enforcement. But my dad still also, even though he was a great cop, I would never say that he should have settled for being the great cop he was. There was always room for him to be reformed by the light of the gospel to be an even better member of the law enforcement. And so um, I don't think that it, it it's um, promoting a false narrative. I think that it's bringing something to the light that needs to be brought to the light to, to bring about a, a more just society. Um, so what I want to encourage you to do, Brandon, is this, is I want to encourage you to keep walking with me as I keep walking with you. Um, because again, every saint is not always going to agree with each other. One of my favorite saints is St. John Paul the Great. And even though he's one of my favorite popes, uh, I didn't agree with everything he did as the Holy Father, but he's still my father and he's still my brother in Christ. And he has still been used by God to help me grow in such a deeper intimacy with, with the Lord. That does not mean that I agree with everything he did throughout his papacy, but I still am grateful that I didn't revolt from relationship with him just because I disagree with him in one or two aspects of his papacy, but I continue to lean into him and he continued to be a bridge for me to Jesus. So I want to encourage you to keep walking with me and I'll walk with you. Here's what I do during Lent. Uh, one of my practices that I began a few uh, maybe it was a, a few years ago now, I think two or three years ago, is I fast from speaking a lot. I fast from my normal sources that I used to to grow in my relationship with God and the world. And so what I often do is, is um, and, and I'll invite you to do that this year, is 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 fast from every book that you're going to read during Lent, except for the Bible and the Catechism and the Catholic Church. You keep the Bible and you keep the Catechism, but don't read any other book. And instead, Lean into other sources that you might not normally read. The two sources I would encourage you to lean into during Lent would be, um, and again, these two sources aren't two sources that I agree with everything that the authors say, because I don't. There are a number of things that the authors propose that I do not agree with. However, they can be helpful potentially in giving you a different perspective on the criminal justice system and the need that we all have as disciples of Christ to be used by God to bring about more reform, not revolt, but to bring about reform in 
ourselves and in the systems that we participate in. And those two books, along with the Bible and the Catechism, are The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. So let me know if that's helpful, Brandon, and let's continue to accompany each other in our walk toward Jesus. All right, our first question comes in from Anonymous, and it's about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Hello, Father Josh. I have a question regarding Ash Wednesday. Hopefully you get to respond to this before Ash Wednesday. Well, I will do that. It's going to be Tuesday you're going to hear this. I'm currently a sophomore in college, and I have some concerns about this coming Ash Wednesday. If I decide to attend Mass in the morning, am I supposed to leave the ashes on my forehead throughout the day? I'm a bit concerned that leaving it on my forehead would cause unnecessary tension and stares during my classes. However, I feel like cleaning it off is almost like I'm hiding my Catholic faith. I doubt there's a concrete yes or no answer, but I would just like some advice. All right, Anonymous, that's a great question. Let's first talk about the ashes and the symbolism behind the ashes, and then I'll give you my two cents that you can either accept or reject in your walk toward eternity. First of all, um, the ashes are definitely scriptural, right? Ashes remind us of our mortality. In Genesis 3.19, God said to Adam, you are dust, and the dust you shall return. And this is a verse that we actually recite during the Ash Wednesday uh, service. Um, and so it reminds us of our mortality. We always need to be reminded that we're going to die one day. We're finite. We're not going to be here forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. But also, um, it goes deeper than that. It's also a symbol of repentance. In the book of Job, we read this, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So ashes were a symbol of repentance from our father in the faith, Job. Ancient Jews, who are our fathers and mothers in the faith, they would cover themselves in ashes as both a sign of their mortality and repentance, but also it was a sign of intercessory prayer. That's what Esther did when Esther um, prayed and fasted for her people. She also um, covered herself with ashes and dung. So if you think ashes are something like that's pretty embarrassing, imagine putting dung on your forehead like Esther. But look at the fruit of her intercessory prayer. Her people were saved from persecution. So on to your actual question about what should you do. Uh, so yeah, if you attend Mass uh, and worship at the sacrifice of Mass, receive ashes on your forehead, then I would say this. Um, think about the people in your classroom that might not be uh, aware of their mortality. This, these could be conversation starters. At the beginning of the podcast, I, I talked about Jeff Cavins and how he and I would uh, invite people to share us share with us their stories about their tattoos. Imagine all the people that might ask you questions about your ashes and you would have an opportunity in the university to, to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus, to talk about your relationship with them, to remind them that they're going to die one day. Um, it's a great opportunity to be a witness and to evangelize. Um, and it's also a great opportunity for you to remember that you are dust, for you to remember that you're called to daily repent and turn back to, to the gospel, and for you to remember that you're called to be an intercessor for the for the world. Um, however, the, the, it depends on circumstances. Um, if it's going to be super distracting and you think that, you know what, my brothers and sisters in class 
won't be able to pay attention to their study because of the ashes on my face, then that's a personal call. You can certainly wipe the ashes off. It's not a mortal sin to take ashes off your forehead. Uh, it's really there to, to be a gift for you and others. But if it's not going to be a gift for whatever reason, you are not obliged to keep it on all day, right? As a priest, I actually wipe the ashes off my forehead um, sometime after Mass, in my morning Mass, because when I put the owl back on, I don't want the ashes to get on my owl for the next Mass. And so I take them off my forehead, and then I put them back on during Mass again. Um, and so... It really depends on the circumstances that you're in, but I think it's a great gift and I think it's a great opportunity. And so I would encourage you, my anonymous friend, to um, if if you pray about it and you feel the Holy Spirit invites you to to keep those ashes on your forehead all day for the sake of the witness, um, not only for your own reminder, but for the ways in which it could potentially impact the community and inspire them to take their eyes off this passing world and fix their eyes on the face of Jesus. Somebody really might come back to the sacrament. Someone who hasn't been in confession might come back to confession because of the simple uh, reminder of the ashes on your forehead. So uh, keep that in mind as you make your decision. But if you take them off, I, I don't think that you're going to be in sin. Um, if you are taking them off because you're ashamed of the gospel, then yeah, Jesus Christ would, would you know, you know what the Bible says about that. So, but if, if it's not, out of shame or fear of that, but if it's just because legit you don't want to be distracting, then um, that's a discernment issue right there. So I hope that it's helpful for you, Anonymous, and I uh, hope you become a great saint, and I hope somebody does see your ashes and they come back to Jesus because of you. God is so much bigger than us. He could do great things with our, with our, little, with our little responses to His glory. All right, speaking of sin, next question comes in from our Friend in distress, downplaying mortal sin during confession. These are your confessions, just when you thought you said everything you could say. All right, you said, hi, Father Josh. I want to start by saying what a blessing and joy your podcast has been. I'm sorry that this is kind of lengthy, but here it goes. I recently committed a mortal sin that could have put someone's life in grave danger for the sake of my pride and for fear of getting in trouble. I went to confession and felt that I had a good, fruitful confession, and I left feeling great. However, the day after and the days following, I kept bringing the sin back up in my mind. I think trying to downplay in my head because I did not want to carry the baggage of knowing I had ever done something of this magnitude for the rest of my life. Now, I'm scared that I downplay the seriousness of the sin to the priest by trying to make the situation look better in confession. When I detailed the story to him, I told the story before the actual sacrament. Um, but in the sacrament, I itself, I simply say that I put someone's life in grave danger because of my fear of looking like an idiot. I have two questions. Number one, how can I tell if this new fear that I downplay the sin is from God or from the devil? And number two, I am having a really, really, really hard time forgiving myself. I'm also having a hard time accepting confidence in God's mercy. What are some practical ways for moving on from the sin, helping me understand the scopes of God's mercy and forgiving myself? P.S. Sorry for my excessive use of exclamation marks. Also, feel free to sing Demi Lovato's song, Sorry Not Sorry, at this point. <laughs> Cause you know I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. So one day I was at uh, it's Lebanese joint. I like Lebanese food, and I was there with one of my my buddies, and we were sitting there. And there, I think at that time, Demi Lovato song "Sorry Not Sorry" had just come out, and there was like this little girl, maybe in kindergarten, and she was singing it, and she was singing it, lip singing the whole song, and it was hilarious. Her facial expressions, and so we were dying laughing um, as she said. 
Cause I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, being so bad, something, 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 something. So yeah, so a few things. I think that, uh, first of all, you detail to the priest uh, in your conversation with them everything about the situation. And then when you went to confession, you you simply mentioned that you put someone's life in grave danger because of your fear of looking like an idiot. I'm pretty sure the priest knew what you were talking about since you made it very clear to him right before you made the sign of the cross and began the sacramental confession, what you were talking about. So I think you're fine, right? Um, I think in general, like when we go to confession, we we don't want to be too vague. So like say if you committed a vice of the flesh, you don't want to go in and say, I committed lust. Like what does that mean? But we also don't want to go in and read the priest a novel, Fifty Shades of Grey. And then after that, I began to rub my hands. Like, right, we don't need all the details. Um, but we need to be specific enough, but not vague enough. But not too vague, not too specific. Um, and so uh, say something like, you know, like, Father, like, if it was a lustful saying, like, I did not have sex with my boyfriend, but we did, we did sexual things with each other. That that would be um, sufficient, right? And so in your case, um, you said it was something very, very grave. Um, and so uh, you, you make that very clear that, that you did something um to a friend that caused grave danger to them for your own fear of looking like an idiot. Now I would say if, if that was, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think it just, I think the fact that you made it clear to the priest beforehand, you're good. You're, you're solid, right? Don't, don't let the enemy, um, foster spirituality of scrupulosity within you. Uh, so the devil oftentimes will accuse us and he would just discourage us. And the fact that you felt that peace after the sacrament, I would hold on to that peace because God, um, affirms us and God, he, he does convict us, but he can, when he convicted you, you went to the sacrament, um, and you received his mercy. And so then you felt that peace. So hold on to that. Like that's the truth. Um, the devil is the accuser and he's the one who, um, discourages us in our walk toward eternity. And that's what you're feeling right now. Um, God affirms us. And so I want to affirm that you received his mercy uh, and that you, you did confess your sin, um, to the priest, you received absolution. And so now it's time to move on. Okay, but what about the way you feel about yourself? So we're all different. Psychologically, I can't tell you when you're going to get over it. I, I can't. But I can give you some resources and some tools that I found helpful. I always like to lean into Jesus in the Gospels and uh, pray in my imagination with different people from the scriptures whom he showed his mercy to in profound ways. Uh, one of those people was the woman caught in adultery. Right, And so maybe whenever you're praying with the word of God, you can imagine yourself as that woman caught in adultery who Jesus Christ uh, did not condemn. Um, or you can spend some time praying um, as one of the people who was persecuting Christ uh, on the cross whenever he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right, Jesus Christ prayed for those who persecuted him. And so when you persecuted his body and your friend uh, by exposing him to grave danger because of your the fear and your pride, then I would say allow Jesus Christ to look at you. Another practice that might be helpful is to pray with your imagination and to imagine uh, yourself at the moment that you offended your friend. And after you imagine that yourself in that moment to try to look at the face of Jesus and pay attention to how he looks at you. And I'm pretty sure he's going to look at you with a gaze of love. You went to the sacrament of reconciliation, so he's not going to look at you with the face of condemnation. And so he's going to look at you with his mercy, I propose and I imagine. And so if that's how he looks at you, the goal then is to imitate Christ as a disciple of Christ and look at yourself the way that he looks at you. This could be a lifelong journey for you, but this could be a healthy beginning. So my friend in distress, I hope and pray that that advice is helpful for you to experience the divine mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. What do y'all think? Do you have any additional advice for our friend in distress? Write me at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com and let me know. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question. Every one of us is made in the image of God. We are unique, worthy of love, and called to greatness. In this world, though, we can be distracted from that truth and begin to doubt God's love is real. You see, we live in a world that tells us we are not smart, attractive, thin, or rich enough. It is easy to focus on the ways we fall short of worldly perfection and forget that we are already made perfect. We are already enough. I'm Danielle Bean, author of You Are Enough, what women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth. You Are Enough dives into the stories of women in the Bible so that you can fully see God's plan for your life. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send your questions to me at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note and send it to me as well. We can play that on the show. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes and on other podcast outlets to help other people find out about the gift of the show. Final question comes in from James. James asks about the dress code for Mass. Dear Father Josh, thank you for all the work that you do for the Lord and your genuine example of discipleship. I'm very grateful that you are here in my home diocese of Baton Rouge. Shout out to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My question is about how we should dress at Mass. For Sunday Mass, I always dress appropriately and in a church-going manner. But what I'm a little unsure of is daily Mass. At our university student center, we have daily Mass at around noon. Yes, you do, because I was the chaplain there for years ago. Students will often come in between classes if they can, and because of this, students are usually dressed pretty cash. Sometimes I'll be in a shirt and shorts or a hoodie and sweatpants when I go, which I would never wear to Sunday Mass, but I'm already wearing them to class during the week. I know that regardless of it, it's Sunday or day of the Mass, it's still Mass, and it should be respected the same, but it doesn't always seem practical or comfortable to dress really formal for the entire day on campus. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I also don't want to be all dressed up for the rest of the day as I usually and back home, I'm not back at home to change until much later in the evening. Is it appropriate to dress in a casual way like this to daily mass, given the surrounding circumstances of being in the middle of a school day? What are the guidelines of how to dress for Sunday and daily mass, and do they differ any? Thank you for any help you can provide. Yeah, James, I think you're fine. I think the fact that you're going to mass, that you're going to worship God um, during your school time is really a beautiful gift um, to the Father that you want to worship during the week. And so, yeah, if you can dress nice, sure, that's a great thing, especially on Sundays, right? I really want to encourage people to to wear your Sunday best on Sundays, if you can, if you have that. But if your Sunday best um, is the, isn't anything really nice because you can't afford anything really nice, then wear what you can just to get to Mass so you can worship God. Um, the goal is to worship God. Uh, and so do that as best as you can in your walk toward eternity. Um, we want to bring people in. Um, but yeah, so I would say if if you can, dress nice. If you can't, then just come as you are, however that is, uh, because the Father wants to be worshipped. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really every culture has their different the different ways of showing their nice clothes as well. Um, and so uh, don't look to other people and to their opinions, but come and worship, you know, come and worship. Uh, but yeah, certainly try your best to to give him his best 
on the Sunday liturgies um, because Sunday is a day that's set apart, right? It's really set apart. And so um, I, I think that we should not go to Sunday Mass um, dressed casual. Um, but if it's between work hours and you're just trying to get in a, a daily Mass in the middle of work or school, then come however you're dressed, right? It's fine. It's fine. Uh, so don't stress about that, my brother. But I think it consoles the heart of Jesus, the fact that you care. So praise God for your sensitive heart to to worship. All right. So that brings us to the end of today's show. Regardless of your circumstances, here are some things I think everyone can take away from today's questions. Universal point about dress code at mass is um, show Jesus that he's important to you. But whenever it comes down to um, getting a mass in the middle of your day, come as you are. Right. But if you can, I would encourage you to show Jesus that he's as much of a priority to you as that fancy ball that a lot of people are going to for, for Mardi Gras this week. Uh, whenever it comes to downplaying mortal sins, remember, we don't want to be too vague, but we also don't, don't have to be explicitly like uh, specific with all the details, right? We want to just mention the number and kind, number and kind, number and kind, and move on, receive God's mercy, and trust that if we are being attacked after the sacrament, that it's not coming from God, it is coming from the enemy, because he is the father of lies, the one who attacks us, the one who tempts us, the one who accuses us and discourages us, and that is not the voice of our Heavenly Father. And whenever it comes to ashes that we wear on our heads, keep in mind that we are mortal, that we need to repent, that we need to pray for other people, and our ashes can be a great physical reminder to us of that need for us to do that, and it could also be potentially a gift for other people to be drawn back to the divine, to be drawn back to the reality of God and their walk toward becoming saints, we pray. Let's go ahead and um, and end this time in prayer together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, endures all things. Holy Spirit, give us the grace to manifest authentic love for you and for our brothers and sisters in our walk toward eternity. We ask this prayer, Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God bless y'all. I can't wait to continue to walk with you toward our Savior, Jesus Christ. I will see you in the Eucharist until next week. <laughs>